We have, uh, if you're new here or just visiting, we've been working uh, through uh, one of the books in the Bible called uh, Book of Ephesians, and we've been kind of going, uh, plugging away uh, line by line, verse by verse, and uh, we are now on uh, verse 14, and we get to talk about God's love this morning. And I want to begin with asking a question, um, uh, what do you see when you look in the mirror? Maybe this morning you uh, got up and looked in the bathroom mirror, I mean, maybe you saw, like, you maybe realize you're getting older or losing more hair or you found a new zit or a pimple or something like that. Uh, maybe you look in the mirror and you just, you feel shame uh, because of things that you got involved in last week or, or maybe you wish that there was someone else in the mirror that was more beautiful or had, had more things together. But whatever you see in the mirror, whether it's good or bad, uh, where to right or wrong, there is one thing that all of us must see. And that is we look into the mirror, we must see someone who is deeply and truly loved by God. That it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or how high or how low you've walked in life, when you look into the mirror, there is someone who is deeply and truly loved by God more than you would ever hope, dream, or imagine. And we have to talk about God's love today because it's... Um, that's what our passage is about. Now, I found this actually kind of intense, writing this sermon. It was kind of an intense sermon, so I don't know if it will be intense for you, but it was for me just being reminded of God's extreme love for us. Now, some of you, and, and the temptation, even when I read this, is like, oh, i got to preach on God's love. You know, I kinda, we kind of heard that before. Uh, this is elementary, what you might say. You know, no, 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 blah, blah, blah. God, you know, this pastor talking about love. We've heard that before. You know, this is kind of the liberal, fluffy God, the loving God. We want to get more into the deep things of God, but... This text is going to remind us that there actually isn't anything deeper than God's love. That if you think that you've got a handle on God's love, that you can explain God's love, you just don't have a clue. Uh, all of us are in kindergarten when it comes to the enormity of God's love. And the central text to uh, this passage Sort of the, the, the theme that everything else in this text is built around is this phrase in verse 17. That Paul is praying, this is a prayer that Paul is praying for us, that we would be rooted and established in love and specifically God's love. That the idea of being rooted in something is, if you picture a, a tree, and I got a tree here, you can see all the roots. I mean, something, a tree that is rooted it will get all its nutrients through the roots, and the tree will be green or brown depending on the nutrients that the roots can find. And Paul is saying that we need to be people that are rooted in God's love. That all of our nourishment, all the stuff we need for life, the energy, the hope to make it through a tough day, that all of that would be found in the love of Christ. That would be established and rooted in the love of Christ, that we'd be breathing God's love, that we would begin to understand God's love, that, that everything we do would be based in God's love. And so our passage begins in verse 14. Uh, for this reason, this is the stuff we've talked about the last few weeks, he says, I kneel before the Father, and, and he's praying, and he kneels down to pray. And, uh, and this is a valid posture for prayer. I mean, the only posture isn't just like folding your hands and closing your eyes and bowing your head. I mean, in fact, in Jesus' day, the most common way they prayed was with their hands lifted up, their eyes open, looking uh, to the sky. And sometimes it's helpful to pray in a different way. 
Uh, sometimes it's helpful to try to pray with your eyes open rather than closed. I mean, especially if you're driving, it's, it can be helpful. You know. uh, and uh, he prays to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That, that uh, Paul is acknowledging just how glorious God is. That every family, every human being on this planet, their name is derived from the Father. As it says in the book of Acts, for in him, and, and he's talking to people that aren't even following Jesus. He, he says this to them, uh, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And it doesn't matter if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus or not. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad to have you here, uh, part of us today. But, but, that, but that we live and move and have our being in God. For the reason our heart is beating and we're breathing, it, it's all this amazing gift of grace that God gives us. And the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And it's just helpful to begin to appreciate life. Every moment, every breath is something we need to appreciate. And so he is praying this on his knees. And so he's incredibly serious about this prayer. And then he moves into this, the aspect of love. For I pray that out of his glorious riches, and, and God has more glorious riches than we can ever imagine. I mean, storehouses of riches that are beyond imagination. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I, and I can't help myself. Whenever I read that, I'm like, I want that. To be strengthened out of his glorious riches in our inner being. I mean, do you want that today? Do you need that today? I mean, life can be hard. You just kind of make it through the week. Sometimes it can be difficult or even the day. And it's just like, God, I need your strength. I need your power in my inner being. And Paul was praying that for the church of Ephesus. And, and I want to pray that for us right now. So, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us in our spirits, by your spirit, God, according to your power, according to your glorious riches. God, that you would strengthen us in mighty ways. God, that we would be able to face the battles of each day. God, that we would be able to walk in love. And so he's praying for these folks that they would be strengthened. Then he says, so that, the reason he wants them to be strengthened was so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And the idea of dwelling is, is like, um, it's like coming home to your own home. So the, the idea here is with the word that you, that you make your home, that Jesus would be able to make his home in our hearts. Jesus would not just be, you know, like a Sunday thing for us, and we kind of pull him out on Sunday, and the rest of the week we kind of chuck him in the corner, or that we only let Jesus in a little bit of our lives, but not the whole entirety of our lives. That Paul wants Jesus to, to infiltrate every aspect of our life, and this is what we need to be. That there will be no part of us that will be afraid to allow God to rule and to reign over. And part of the reason we struggle, as I was thinking about this, and as this text mentions, part of the reason we struggle with really surrendering or really just, just, just coming to, to Jesus and, and acknowledging him as the king of everything is because a lot of times we doubt God's love. Because when you really realize that someone loves you, all of a sudden you can be completely transparent. Because you're not afraid of being judged. You're not, you're not afraid of them, you know, putting you down because you know that they love you and you can just be open. Uh, when someone loves you, you can be incredibly close in relationship. I mean, love draws people together. I mean, when you, you're loved, you can be known and, and, and be known and 
this is what God wants in our lives. For us to be absolutely open, transparent, in relationship with him. But we resist that. And a lot of times it's because we, whether you acknowledge it or not, we, we doubt God's love. Uh, and maybe that might be because, you know, in our world we have a, a lot of twisted views or ideas of what love is. I mean, maybe you grew up in a home where your parents said, you know, I love you so much, but they never spent any time with you. And so you maybe think God is like that. He's just God of love. As the Bible says, he's love, but really he doesn't want to be there for me. He doesn't really help me. And so we, we keep him at a distance. Or, or maybe you grew up in a home where uh, you were only loved when he did well at hockey. Or he did well at school. And you performed. And if you didn't perform, then you didn't feel loved by your home. And then you kind of put that on God. And, and, and God is only a God who loves you when you have everything together. And when you mess up and, and really have a horrible week, then God doesn't really love you. And so you keep God at a distance. Uh, maybe you grew up or just experienced uh, someone who said, I love you so much, but then emotionally or physically abused you. And you think God is maybe like that. You know, God is a loving God, but, you know, I've read about some of this angry stuff, and, you know, maybe he's got this angry streak, and, and I'm kind of scared because he might abuse me, and, and maybe you, that's your picture of God, and so you keep him at a distance. I mean, if you fully understand God's love, there is nothing in us that should actually resist us because he is actually completely loving. Or another way we could look at this, uh, 1 John 5, 3 says this. Uh, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. A, a lot of times we look at the commands sometimes and, and we feel that they're kind of burdensome. Or I don't know if I want to obey you, God, because maybe he just doesn't have our best interests in mind. When you really actually understand God's love for you, you will understand that his commands actually aren't burdensome. Because God loves you, and as Ephesians 1 says, his power is for you. Romans 8 says, uh, God is for you, not against you. That every one of his commands is actually for your good. Because he loves you. He's not holding back, and he's not trying to make you miserable. It's, he's actually working for you good. And so when he says that we are to be forgiving, and we're not to carry bitterness, and we're to love people, and we're not to be greedy, that is all so that, and out of, it's all out of God's love. And one of the tests this morning is whether you understand God, God's love or not, could be this text. I mean, if you see God's commands as burdensome, you have a twisted view of God's love. And I'm hoping this morning that we could twist that view back to what the Bible speaks about his love. And so he goes on and says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. And, and, I, and that should be all of our desires as Christ followers, that I want to be full to the full measure of God. We want that. At least you should want that. I want that. But look what he says how we get it. To know his love, that we may be filled to the full measure and all the fullness of God. And, and, and I'll confess, I don't think this morning I'm full to the full measure of God this morning. I feel pretty full, but not like totally full. And I don't know about you, but it means that I don't fully know his love. To be filled with the full measure of God is to have a grasp, or at least to begin to grasp his love. And this is why this is not elementary. 
This is why it is fundamental to your health, whether it's in marriage or your job or your just everything in life comes down to this foundation of knowing God's love. And if you have a twisted view of God's love, you will always keep him at a distance. You'll never fully surrender. You'll never fully invite him in. And so the heart of this text is to be filled with God, which comes through a knowledge of God's love. But it's interesting. He says that this love surpasses knowledge. Uh, that it's unknowable, that it, it's beyond knowledge. And like, so how are we supposed to know something that's unknowable? Uh, how are we supposed to know something that surpasses knowledge? And I think it begins is when you bump up to the enormity of God's love and you realize that it is so far beyond you, that's when you actually begin to get a clue. That when you realize that God's love, it, it is just so vast, it is so huge, I could never fully know it, that's when you actually begin to know it. If you think you've got a handle on God's love and you know God's love and you can define God's love and you can box God's love, it just shows you that you just really, you're just so far away from having a clue that, that you need to get a clue by realizing you don't have a clue how big God's love is. It is beyond knowledge. And, uh, I mean, we could picture it like an iceberg. I mean, usually you just see the little tip, and yet there's this, this huge component we don't see, and that's God's love. We just scratch the little surface of God's love. There is so much more that we don't see of how beautiful and full of grace and power His love is. It is like a grain of sand on the ocean. Like a grain of sand could say, you know, I've experienced the ocean, but a grain of sand doesn't have a clue when it comes to how big the ocean really is. And this is us. We're this little tiny grain of sand in this ocean of God's love. And, and we can never say, I fully have experienced God's love. I mean, we can never fully. It is just so beautiful and so big and so unreal. Or we can look at it like space. I mean, we look at the sky and we see, you know, some stars. And we can just kind of imagine what's out there. But we know it goes on for billions and billions of light years. I mean, we get a glimpse of it, but we can never, never fathom just how grand it is. And this is God's love. That our experience, and as we read the scriptures about, we just gives us a little bit of a glimpse of just how vast his love is. And he invites you in to that grandness of his love. It is actually uh, beyond knowledge. And, and so much so, he actually says this. That he's praying that these folks would have the power to know his love. In other words, we cannot know God's love just through the natural. That Paul is actually praying that they would have the supernatural ability to even begin to grasp God's love. Again, it is so big, it is so vast that we can never fully know it. And this is coming from Paul. I mean, you think if anybody would actually know God's love and have a handle in a box and be able to define the terms, you know, what only goes this far and then his love stops. I mean, if anybody could do that, it would be Paul because he was completely transformed. He wrote more books in the New Testament than the other guy. And yet Paul says, it surpasses knowledge. Paul is saying, we need your help, Spirit, to even begin to grasp how beautiful and big your love is. And the reality is, if God's love seems too good to be true, then you're finally starting to get a clue, right? If it just seems too big, too amazing, too vast, too incredible, too endless, you know, there's got to be some boundaries. I, I mean, if, if you just think it's too good to be true, then, then you're actually starting to get it. But if you keep putting God's 
love in a box, or well, what about this? Well, but, I mean, that's when you start to narrow it down and you, and you lead to trouble. It is so high and wide and long and deep that it just surpasses knowledge. I mean, God's love goes uh, like a quadrillion uh, infinity miles to the left and infinity miles to the right and infinity miles up and infinity miles. That's how big his love is. It's just, you cannot stop his love. And Paul's praying to the Ephesians, and it's got to be our prayer that, God, would you help us just get a better grasp on just how big your love and how it affects our lives and how it's to be the foundation of everything we do. But what is this love like? Because, you know, we can talk about God's love is this big, but, but what in the world is God's love like? Because in our society, we use love in all kinds of weird ways. I mean, I say I love coffee. I can say I love Twinkies, love my dog. I love my family. I love my shoes. I can say I love my wife. Uh, so when it comes to God's lo love, what is it? Does God love us the way I like Twinkies? Does God love us the way, you know, you like shoes? You know, you women who get a new pair of shoes, and then a month later you fall in love, and you fall in love with a new pair of shoes. I mean, I mean that happens in marriages. You know, I did love that gal, but, you know, I kind of have this new love for this other gal. And I mean, is that the kind of love God has for us? Is the kind of love where he just loves you when you have it all together and you're doing really well, and then you mess up, he's like, you know, I'm going to go love one of these people who has it all together. W what does God's love look like? What kind of love are we talking about? Well, we could begin with the really well-known passage in, in Ephesians chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and the Greek is more helpful because there's various words for love. We just kind of have one, uh, but th this is agape love. It's called God's love, and this love is actually describing God's love that is limitless. These things in this text are so vast, are so beyond us, are so impossibly, like they're just like, I can't believe that's actually true. They're so big. This is God's love for you. That God's love for us is patient. And God's love for us is kind. God's love does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. God's love is not self-seeking. God's love is not easily angered. God's love keeps no record of wrongs. God's love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God's love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And God's love never fails. Because it's endless. It just can't fail because it just keeps going on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. No matter what you've done or where you've been, it just keeps going. It, it can't stop. But even greater than that is the idea of God's love is found in Jesus. If you want to know what God's love really is like, we look at Jesus. Jesus is the definitive revelation of what God is like. If you want to know what the Father is like, we look at Jesus. And a lot of people, you know, can say, you know, I think Jesus was a really loving person, but this father guy, I mean, I've read stuff, and he just that doesn't, mean, he's not, doesn't seem very loving. But, but Jesus, if you want to know what the Father is like, we look at Jesus. Uh, and this is just completely clear all throughout the New Testament. For instance, in John 14... Uh, Jesus says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father that that'll be enough for us. You know, sh show us the father. We want to know what the father's love is like. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I mean, we can't say, show us the Father, because we've seen exactly what the Father is like in Jesus. God's love looks like Jesus every time, 100%. It looks 
like Jesus. And if God's love doesn't look like Jesus, then there, there's something wrong because it looks like Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets, at many times in various ways. And you might have heard lots of stuff about God's love. You might, might have all these ideas of what, it, what it's like. Well, how do we find out what God's love is really like? Well, he goes on. He says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Then it says this, then the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So if you want to know what the Father's love is like, we look to Jesus. Again, it says here that Jesus is the final way God has spoken to us. He is the one who trumps all other things that if you want to know what the Father's love is like, you look at Jesus. And, and I hope that maybe takes some of your twisted view of what God's love away because it's got to look like Jesus. And when we begin to look at Jesus' life, we begin to see things like he went around and taught people that we're to love our enemies and we're to do good to them and we're to be merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. That's what Jesus taught. That's what, what God is. Uh, we see in John 13, Jesus being God, he he does the most humble thing you could ever do. His disciples who are there who are about to turn his back on him, Judas is there who is about to betray him. Jesus takes off his outer garment and takes on the task of a slave and washes the disciples' feet in the most humble way. And then he says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I have done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now I, your teacher, uh, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. And you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do of I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. This is, this is Jesus who has come to represent who the Father is. This is the Father's love. This is God's love. A God who is willing to Wash your feet. Self-sacrificial, other-oriented love because that's what love is in its truest sense. It is always others-centered. It's not self-centered. God is completely others-centered. This is Jesus. And then Jesus, of course, is, is arrested. And you remember, uh, Peter cuts off the, the, the guy's ear who's come to arrest him and Jesus doesn't go, yeah, you get him. This guy's coming to arrest me. What does Jesus do? Who is the image of what God's love is like? Here is an enemy of Jesus. His ear is cut off, and Jesus, he heals the ear. This is what God's love is like. Even to his enemies, he is showing love. And then Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is naked on the cross. That's why they did it, because they just wanted to make it the most shameful act. He is beat. He, he didn't have to be there. He did that completely, absolutely for us, so that we might be free and we might have life. And then he says the most amazing thing on the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. These people who strung him up, who crucified him, he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And Hebrews 1 says he is the final revelation of what the Father is. If you want to know what the Father is, you look at Jesus. And if your view of God's love doesn't line up with Jesus dying on a cross for you, you have a twisted view of God's love. This is God's love for you. Completely self-sacrificial, 
others-centered, and it's endless. It doesn't stop. We're just scratching the surface of how grand and how beautiful and big His love really is. Again, Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. This wasn't just a part of a representation of what God's love is like. Jesus was representing God. All the fullness dwelt in him. Again, do you want to know what God's love is like? You just look at Jesus. You begin to doubt God's love for you. You look at Jesus hanging across saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is that your view of God's love? In fact, it goes and says the very definition of love is found in this other-centered, self-sacrificial death on the cross. As John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. It's not that, you know, I love my cookies, I love my crackers, and I love my cake. You want to know what God's love is? It's found here. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Again, if your view of God's love does not line up with that, it's wrong. The very definition of love is found in Jesus doing something that he did not have to do, which was totally others-centered as he was dying on the cross. Or Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For uh, While we were God's enemies, it goes on. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. The most loving act was done when we were the most rebellious. And this means that it doesn't matter how rebellious you are right now, God is loving you with the most deep and desperate love that you can't even begin to fathom. And it's endless, and it's just pouring out on you. He's calling you. I love what uh, one theologian, Thomas Torrance, said in his uh, book that you probably don't want to read, The Christian Doctrine of God. Uh, But he says this, in his love of us, And for us, God freely wills not to be without us and wills to be with us as those whom he has eternally chosen to coexist with himself and share his eternal love. He does not want to be alone without us or want us to be alone without him. It is in the cross of Christ that the utterly astonishing nature of the love that God is has been fully disclosed. For in refusing to spare his own son, whom he delivered up for us all, God has revealed that he loves us more than he loves himself. And so it is in the cross of Jesus Christ above all that God has exhibited the very nature of his being as love and has irrevocably committed his being to relationship with us in unconditional love. It is just an endless Love, and, and I guarantee you right now, you're probably thinking, well, but, well, what about this, you know, what about, and Satan, it guaranteed, is trying to get this out of your head. I mean, at the very beginning, you know the first lie Satan told? He was trying to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's love, because again, this is the very foundation. Paul says, you want to be filled with the fullness of God is found in his love. We're to be rooted in his love, and if Satan can disturb that love and give you a twisted view of God's love, it just, it destroys everything, and so Satan's always trying to twist your view of God's love. I mean, you know what happened in the garden, right? The woman said to the serpent, "Uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, Uh, But God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent says, you will certainly not die. He said to the woman, and of course Adam was there as well. It says he was right next to him. This wasn't just 
the serpent speaking to the woman, both of them. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is saying, God's holding out on you. God really actually doesn't have your best interest in mind. God really isn't fully loving. If he was fully loving, he would just let you indulge in that, in that tree. And Satan was trying to get Eve and Adam to doubt God's love, and they did. He's like, well, maybe life would be a little better. Maybe I'd be loved more if I just indulged, and all of a sudden, everything just went bad. Do not let Satan twist your view of God's love. Be careful about, well, what about this? Well, but, you know, but, you know, what about, and try to limit it because you can't limit it. As far as the east is to the west, it just goes and goes and goes. And some people say, well, what about God's anger and wrath? I mean, God's love always needs to be balanced with his wrath and anger. No. Uh, the Bible says God is love. The Bible never says he is anger or wrath. No, it is true. God gets angry. And the Bible talks about God being wrathful. And the idea of being wrathful just has to do with his anger. But it, this is not like, you know, God is 50% loving and 50% angry. And, and you don't know what side you're going to get. You know, like an abusive husband or something. You might get the loving side or the abusive. You just don't. God is 100% love. Every time. But because he's 100% love, there are times when he gets angry. Just like any of us who love somebody. I mean, if you love your kid and someone beats them up, or rapes them, or does something horrible, you're going to be angry, because you love them. Someone does that to your kid, you're angry. Someone does that to some kid that you don't know in some third world, you're like, you're a little upset, but not, because you just tend to love your kids more. I mean, third century theologian got it right when he, uh, he said, he who does not get angry doesn't care. And the reason God gets angry is because he is endless love, because his love has no minute, end. He sees you getting hurt. He sees you hurting someone else. He sees people dying of hunger in this world. He sees all the horrible things that go on. I mean, you bet you, because he loves every single person perfectly. And because he loves perfectly, there are times when he gets angry. And you see even Jesus in his ministry, he's overturning the tables in the temple because these people put up barriers to keep people from worshiping the temple because he was angry because it was unloving. Don't ever get into the idea that you've got to balance God's love with his wrath or anger. That's just not true. The Bible doesn't say that. God is love, but out of his love, there is anger and wrath because he is love. In fact, and, and I just hope we get this. This is a, a powerful point. I mean, if you can get this in your heart, it will, it will change you. Uh, John 4.8 and 4.16 says this, that God is love. The Bible doesn't say that God just acts loving, though he does, or that God just does loving things, that, though he does. It actually says God is love, that his very nature, the very essence of God is love. And for this reason, God can't be unloving. And so if you ever think, oh, you know, God's not loving me right now, you're just wrong because God cannot stop loving because he is love. If God were to stop loving, he'd cease to be God. It's like me being human. I am human. doesn't matter what you do to me, you beat me up, or whatever, it's just, I'm still human. I cannot be non-human. God cannot be unloving. He is love. It's his very essence. It's his very nature. And he is loving you. And you need to make sure that you make this personal. Because sometimes, we, again, we just say, this is too good to be true. This is too, so we go like, well, but, but, you know, well, maybe, I don't know, I'm not that great. And it's because we just think, but it, it, it's just beyond 
knowledge. It is so good. It, again, if, you're star, if you think it, it's uh, too good to be true, then you're just actually finally getting to understand God's love. But the thing is, we, we push that away. Because most of us have never been loved that way in this life. Even as much as you try to be a parent who loves your kids the best, I mean, I mess up as a parent. I'm not always loving. As much as a husband and wife try to love each other, it's a never perfect love. We've never seen a perfect love outside of God. And so sometimes we're, again, a little leery of receiving it, so we keep pushing him away. I mean, if we really accept it, that, that also means that all of a sudden that we need to begin loving others the way he loved us. And if God only loves me when I have it all together, then it gives me an excuse to love those who have it all together and not love those who don't have it together. And, you know, if God loves me unconditionally, oh, that means i got to love people unconditionally. And we don't like that because it's hard. We kind of push that away. Or we just feel that we're unlovable. You know, I love this definition of, uh, of shame. Uh, Brene Brown says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And sometimes we feel that, that I'm just unworthy of being loved. I, I just don't have a place. And so we push God away because we could never think that his, God, his love would be that good. I mean, it's like Peter. You remember Peter? Jesus comes to wash his feet, and he says, no, you can't do that. I'm unworthy. I'm not deserving of this love. And you know, right? He wasn't. And we're not deserving of his love. We're completely unworthy. I mean, we screw ups a lot of time. But it doesn't change it because he is love. In fact, his love is so great. Last verse, John 17. Jesus said this. Then the world, he's talking about unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as, as you have loved me. And this text is telling us that the love God has for Jesus is exactly the same kind of love he has for you. That Jesus is saying, God, you love me even if you love these people. And Jesus knows that we don't have all things together. See, there's no other love like this because, you know, you know why we hide things, why we're never very open with people? is because we believe that if they really knew who we were, they wouldn't love us anymore. So we hide things from our spouse, we hide things from our friend, we, we hide things from each other, because if I was really known, they wouldn't. But you know, God knows everything about you. He knows every secret thought, every mistake, everything you've done right, done wrong. He knows every little motive you've had, and he just says, I love you to the uttermost. Even while you were an enemy, I love you. And this is why this has got to be ingrained, that there is actually nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Because he is love. He can't put the stop button on. It doesn't matter what you, he can't put the stop button on because he is love. And for God to stop loving, he would cease to be God. That's his nature, his his essence. And so please, for the sake of your life and your family, would you walk and bask in the love of God? I tell you, when you put away your twisted view of God, I tell you, all of a sudden, this this idea of resisting surrendering to God, resisting obeying God, resisting seeing him as his king, all of a sudden just collapses. Because you know that the place you really need to be is in the presence of the most loving being in this universe, and that's in God. And God loves everybody, but you know, some of you, uh, you haven't really taken that love in. Uh, God still loves you. It doesn't matter if you leave this place and you reject God and you don't follow Jesus. He still has an unconditional, undying love for you, but you just don't experience the blessings of that love.
because he wants to invite you into his home. He wants to invite you to be a part of what he's doing. He wants to, to experience his love and to shape you and to give you a new start and a new thing on life. And you just, just invite him in. Invite him in. Invite the love of God in. I did it one more verse. Romans 8. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the past nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He can't put the stop button on. So would you just run to him? Run to him and begin to experience this love that you will never, ever get to mine in the end. I mean, what would your life look like if you actually just fully invited the love of God into your life? What would it look like if right now you just said, I just want to invite the fullness of your love into my life? And so, Father, for those who are willing and, and wanting to, and I'm one of those people, God, I just acknowledge, we acknowledge that we want you fully God, your love fully to impact every aspect of our being. God, that any twisted view of your love that is causing us to push you away, God, that you would just, just melt that in the truth that you are loving and that you are loving. You can't put the stop button on. And God, I pray this would become the foundation of our life, that we might live a life that is surrendered to you, that God, we would take delight in following you because we know you're love and you know that's the best thing. So God, we need your blessing, we need your grace, and we need your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.